Welcome to Slashport. I'm Prue, and I am joined, as ever, by my partner in crime, MK. Hello there. Hello. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm super fabulous. As per usual, right? Always. Throwing fucking sparkles everywhere. Sparkles all the time. So sparkly. <laughs> now, for those of you who are raging pervs just the way we like you, you're probably watching the episode title for this and wondering, first times, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be so beautiful, guys. You don't even know. It's going to be really special. Really special, very spiritually intense, like the first time someone found you there and made it happen for you. <laughs> I feel disgusting. Okay. You should. You're terrible. We have priests who listen to this. Yeah, but she also asks her parishioners, like the children of her parishioners, what is something fun to do by yourself but is better done in a pair? No. Yes! <laughs> Make I'm sure cookies. meant it innocently, but that came out nasty. I'm just saying. Oh, we love you. <laughs> oh, we love her. She's great. She's great. Um, she's the greatest. Okay, but yeah, before we get to first times, we're going to be talking about, um, which is, by the way, only slightly less gross than what you think it actually is. We're going to pop in quickly to deal with some reader questions, a request, and talk about suits. But let's kick off with suits. Oh my god, Suits. Suits. Okay, so I think everyone knows by now, but I have a lot of trouble watching Suits despite my love of it. <laughs> yeah. It's like really hard for me to get through an episode, and it took Prue like badgering me to make me watch the first episode of season two. So much badgering. Uh, and it was worth it, but it took me like three hours to watch because I had to keep pausing because I was like, it's too stressful! <laughs> it really stresses me out. I know, baby, I know. But Jessica. 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 Holy shit, Jessica. Like, seriously, holy shit. Uh, I think at the end of that episode, I was just like, take me now. <laughs> yeah, you heard. Yeah, basically. Just, yeah. Yeah. It was so, we're talking about the first episode, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. So we've now officially seen the first two episodes of the series, the second season, rather. And I have really liked both. And I really think that qualitatively, they're much better. Like season two so far is kicking season one's ass hardcore. Yeah, totally. They've definitely like tightened it up and improved the writing. And they've gone to they've gone to a lot more courageous, emotional places than they did in the first season. And they haven't really been as married to the idea of having like a case of the week. Yeah, which is good. Um, though I will say, like, some of the character stuff could definitely still use some work. Yeah, it's it, one of the things that keeps coming up, and from our chatting while we were watching this, and it's like the interactions that Mike and Rachel are having. So obviously, spoilers, in case you haven't seen them yet. Spoilers. Big spoils. Um, the interactions that Mike and Rachel are having are completely hilarious, right? Like, that scene where she, where he's like, and on our day, she's just, go away! Like, trying to work! Just go to work! What are you doing? Are really funny, and I love those interactions. But, I mean, like, they've done a lot of damage insofar as, like, the Rachel character herself. Like, I do not like her at all. And it has nothing to do with anything she's done this season. It has everything to do with stuff she did last season. And I can't, like, divorce myself from that memory of well, just liking her. You shouldn't have to. I mean, there's a lot of amazing female characters on this show. Yeah. And while Rachel has some amazing lines, she's not one of the amazing characters. No, definitely You're not. You're just kind of like, oh, Rachel, shut up. Oh, such a pain. Like, it's, it's, it's fair because it's first season and they're always feeling out characters, right? But it's also 
I can't shake it because she's so fucked. Like her character was written in such a fucking obnoxious way that even though her and Mike were hilariously cute in this episode, like I loved when he caught her in the beginning of the day and like kissed her in that hallway. That was a beautiful kiss. It was so tender and so, so hot too, like just in that hallway. And then like all of their subsequent interactions before like the terrible breakup scene were all super hilarious and adorable. But my problem is like, I still remember you being whiny and self-righteous, and I hate you. Well, that, and I'm just like, you're kind of a dick. Like, Which one, Mike or Rachel? Both of them. Like, Mike is such a douche. <laughs> like, I don't I don't remember him being this much of a douche last season. Why, he was less confident last season. Well, I think that's what it was, because this season he's like, you know what, I'm going to date all the ladies, like, at the same time, and then I'm just going to, like, jump between relationships and be, like, so cocky. I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Mike. Like, stick it back in your pants. Basically. Yeah. Um, but Harvey, a delight. An asshole, but a delight. Uh, well, Harvey's always a delightful asshole. Well, yeah. But, I mean, I don't know if they, like, lightened his hair or something this season or, like, <laughs> loosened up the grease. <laughs> it, it definitely looks like they've stopped, like, shellacking his hair down with, like, bare fat. Yeah. <laughs> it really makes no Flanagan used to say. <laughs> um, I did love, in the second episode, how the primary emotional arcs like I like yes Rachel and Mike blah but I loved that one of the primary emotional arcs is this issue of like Harvey and his betrayal of Jessica and how like he cannot let go of his ego enough yeah she needs right and it's like you know the only reason you're here is because of Jessica and Jessica asked you like most of the time she's like do whatever the fuck you want just make me some money and that's what you like doing and then she asks you for one favor and you fuck it up yeah exactly no Harvey, unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. I love his apology at the end, though, where he brings back her tea service. It's so, like, quiet and perfect. And he doesn't stay in the room to talk about it, you know? He's just like, it's here, I'm here. Like, let me know what you need and when, and this time I won't fuck it up. Exactly. But do you believe him? I don't know if I believe him. I believe he'll try. I don't know if he'll succeed. I think that he will, like, make an effort, but I think that, like, she was right when she says that he is always going to put himself first, Um, or rather, he's going to put him and Mike first. Which is very interesting. Like, season one, you never would have seen that coming. Like, that would have been Fanon. But I feel like the thing is that, like, I feel like the only reason that happened is because, like, Mike is his, you know? Like, whether you interpret that relationship as slashy or, like, paternal or fraternal, like, Mike is one of his people, and... Harvey is one of Jessica's people. She's not necessarily his person, if that makes any sense. No, it totally makes sense. But I'm just going to sidetrack here for a second to let everyone know that we were on chat while we were watching this. (laughs) And Prue sent me a message saying something like, oh, I just, I don't want them to get together because, you know, they're not supposed to. They're like you and me. And I was like, wait, does that make me Mike? (laughs) No, she meant Harvey and Donna, which is beautiful. Until ten minutes later when Donna, like, basically implies that she and Harvey had a thing and then had to end it and have continued to work together for years. Well, now the internet can finally know about my secret heartbreak, MK. Uh, I think they all know that I would have said yes and you would say no. (laughs) (laughs) So, so are you the one, are you the dumpy in this case? Yeah, it's a tragedy. Well, you've, you've soldiered on quite well. It's what I do. I just, I'm a survivor. (laughs) (laughs) We should paste in some music in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Donna in this episode was just... Awesome. So awesome. 
like all the highs and all the lows of like like perfection just really badass and like manipulative and smart and she knows everything and they should definitely give her a raise and then heartbreaking yeah completely vulnerable i thought that that was one of the things i liked so much about this episode um and about this season where they're willing to play that much more, like they're willing to play much more complex emotional tenors in the show. So it's not like simply like, I like you, you don't like me, we fight. Um, or like, you owe me. It's like, I don't like the intimidation factors in place that kind of like build into relationships. Like I really dislike that. And that was like a thing that was like woven into season one, primarily to simplify like everybody's obligatory responsibilities to each other yeah but this season they've definitely like broadened that out and made it much more complex so like that wonderful scene between mike and donna was like so good so good and the fact that they don't say anything but they say everything in that scene where you're just like you're trying i'm trying to figure out whether or not like which direction that went right like did Harvey dump her? Did she dump Harvey? Like, I can't tell, because I get the impression that they would equally be sad about that, no matter which direction that went. Absolutely. No, I had the same problem. I was like, I don't, I don't know which way this went. I feel like the more emotionally intelligent person of that pairing would be Donna. Like, so she might have had to do it, because Harvey is, like, not content to do the wise thing, right? Like, he's going to do the thing that, that he wants to do. But at the same time, it makes a better parallel if Harvey has to tell Mike to dump Rachel because he had to dump Donna. It's true. That would be true. So it could really go either way. Like, I can't. And that's what makes it great about that writing is they don't spell it out. They're like, hey, this kind of thing happened. We're not going to give you the details. Just be sad about it. But also exactly. happy. No, it's one. Sorry, yeah. Because they can't. They can't be together. They're bros. They're the best bros. Well, it's like she said in first season, right? Like, like she, you can't risk it. There's some things you cannot risk. Yeah, and you like can't. Like their friendship is their friendship is too good for them to risk. And they know each other so well. Yeah. Oh, I also I just love when Jessica and Donna get to like actually interact properly. <laughs> They're fantastic. Because Jessica gets a lot more dialogue this season. Like, last season, she was barely there, right? And I'm like, oh, you are underutilizing Gina Torres. Like, that lady's nope. amazing. Yes. And now we finally get, like, you know, when she's talking to Harvey, you're like, yeah, I get it. But when she talks to Donna, I feel like she really comes alive. Yeah, I feel like with Harvey, there are all these, like, push and pull elements of, like, power and obligation and you owe me this and, like... I owe you that. And with Donna, she can just be playful in herself. Yeah, because as weird as this is, she and Donna are like equals. Yes. Like Donna is not really, like Donna works for Harvey. She doesn't really work for Jessica. Right. And so she's out of that like chain of command. Exactly. And really, in some ways, it's like Harvey works for Donna. Like, <laughs> you know, like sometimes you get the opposite feeling there. Yes, exactly. Oh. No, it was excellent. I'm really liking the season so far. Although you are right, it is incredibly stressful. It's so stressful. It's like some of the most stressful. It's like watching The Good Way for me. I have a lot of difficulty. I'm like, oh, I'm really <laughs> excited. I can't do this. I'm too freaked out. Nice. Okay, so a week or two ago, uh, if you followed us on Twitter, you probably saw that we did a Twitter giveaway of a bunch of video games. Yes. Uh, and unfortunately, because, you know, I'm a youngling or whatever. Never <laughs> say that word again. about you? <laughs> Too much time with 20-something. And blame her. Wait, when is 20-something using, I'm going to kill her. I'm going like, <laughs> to go to New York and I'm going to hit her in the face until youngling falls out. <laughs> That's lovely. That's 
Yeah. Lovely imagery. At any rate, I was only checking Twitter. I didn't think to check my email. And we actually got like a winning entry before anyone on Twitter got it by email. Yes. Uh, so Catherine, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, and we offered to do like anything that she wanted as recompense for this other than a sex tape. <laughs> which she still requested. It's too, it's too hard. We're long distance. Yeah. Also like you guys don't really want to see this. I, I have that like deformed third foot growing out of my back and it's like not good. And I'm really pasty. Like you might just see like how, how I came up with deformed third foot and you got, I'm really pasty. No, I think, okay, listen, this is like formed fourth nipple really pasty as well. Okay. It is. Close. <laughs> no, listen, once we were playing, hide and go seek in my house as a kid oh god and it was a big house and we turned off all the lights and it was like nighttime so it's like pitch black right uh-huh. and i hid under a bunch of things in my dad's office and my sister opened the door looked directly at me it's pitch black okay like pitch black and was like get out from under there i see <laughs> you and i was like how and she's like you glow in the dark wow like that's how pasty i am So I feel like if there were, like, video footage of me, it would either just be a red blob or a white blob. A plus, bro. Yeah. So victory. Anyways, the point is, uh, she wanted to hear two things, one of which, let's cover this first, was J-drama recommendations other than Kimi Wapeto. Definitely. Uh, Do you want to go first? Let's let you go first, because mine is, like, a wreck, but with caveats. (laughs) Of course it is. Okay, um, I would definitely, you know what, here's the thing, I'm gonna make you watch stuff that all has the same actors in it, because that's how I found J-dramas for a long time. You should definitely watch Kindaichi Files. There's a bunch of different Kindaichi things, they're all, like, short, but they're, uh, murder mysteries that get solved by an attractive teenage boy. Right. They're great. One of them takes place on the Queen Mary. You'll like it. Um, and I also think you should watch Trick. Trick is a series that is a comedy murder mystery series with a lot of filthy jokes in it. Uh, Like, I would say the two most common jokes are about being flat-chested and having a penis like the size of a house. Right. It's complicated. You'll get there. But basically, there's this guy uh, who thinks that he knows everything and he's going to solve all these cases. He's terrible. He's super dumb. And then there's a girl whose dad uh, was, like, one of the best magicians in Japan. And while she's an amazing magician, because she's so unattractive, nobody wants to see her do tricks. Right. Uh, And together they use their abilities to, well, her abilities to figure out the tricks behind murders using her, like, magician skills to solve crimes and fall in love. And they are the worst people ever. Like, super terrible. But... (laughs) The flat-chested lady is um, Nakama Yukie. Is that her name? She played Young Kumi in Gokusen. Yes. And obviously, which you also watch in case you haven't. Yeah, if you haven't watched Gokusen, you don't know what you're missing. I think I've talked about it before, so I'm not going to describe it. But like seriously, Gokusen, top of the queue. Completely hilarious. Really good stuff. Super great. It's one of the it's one of those rare things that MK and I agree on. <laughs> yeah. Also, it was like a small fandom, but a passionate fandom. Run mostly by MK. Um, my recommendation is a hardcore melodrama called Majo no Joken, and that is spelled M A J O no Joken is J O U K E N. It's called Witch's Requirement, or also known as Forbidden Love. They tell you the genre is a romance, but don't let that fool you. This is essentially, like, just rubbing, like, crazy soap opera crack cocaine straight into your gums. Like, this is not (laughs) a good show. (laughs) This is 
was like, this is the first J-drama I ever watched. And it was one of those things where I put in the first disc to watch the first episode. And I was like, this is stupid. And I was already like, I'm not sleeping tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going <laughs> to do this straight hours. You were going to strong like Oxit? I need to know. You have no idea. This is only 11 episodes long. And somehow in 11 episodes, we have Michi, a 26-year-old like high school math teacher who falls in love with her like 17-year-old high school like math student who's like this disaffected rich kid whose mom doesn't spend enough time with him but is having an affair with this dude at the hospital their family owns and like she hires him a tutor that is basically a prostitute to keep him from hanging out with his math teacher that he wants to bone and like they fight their feelings then eventually they fuck in a library and like somebody has a miscarriage it's craziness great 11 episodes it's so good it's so good it's like Seriously, just like vision, just envision me like grinding this up, rubbing it into my gums. She so says good. so good. She means so terrible. It's good. So oh, it's like so good. It's terrible. Or like so terrible. It's good. One way or the other. It's like an Ouroboros. <laughs> it's eating its own tail. It's true. But that is my recommendation. But like I said, caveats. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of caveats. So many caveats. But the theme song to this is Utada Hikaru, First Love. So, you know. Oh, every, you know what? I was having a conversation with some people about Utada Hikaru, and we were like, you can't escape her music. Like, you're going to listen to it once, and you're like, yeah, that's like standard pop, and then it's in your head forever. It and lives with you forever. It, like, forever. There's no getting rid of it. You need more. You need all of it. And it will all be in your head forever. Until the end of time. There are sushi restaurants in Toronto that just play her CDs. Nice. A plus. And well they done. kill me. <laughs> like, I leave that place and I'm like, ah, oh, I need it all. It's so bad. Anyways, the other thing that Catherine wanted us to talk about was yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey and our feelings on filing the serial numbers off of fan fiction. Um, I don't know that I have many feelings about that at all. Um, specifically for Fifty Shades of Grey, I'm not thrilled with it, not because of anything else, but because it's like not a good story. Like it's very horrific. It's horrifically poorly written. Let's put it that way. Like people keep posting excerpts from it. And you know how they keep making up fake excerpts from it? Can't tell them apart. I cannot tell them apart, which I think says it all, really. It says it all. And my, like, I live with this constant fear, like, this constant soul-deep fear. This is, like, when my mother, like, got really bored after I left home and started reading all the books I'd left in my room. <laughs> and started reading The Red Tent. And I was just like, Mom... If you read that book, we can never talk about it. She's like, why not? I was like, because there's a lot of sex in it, and I never want to talk to you about it. <laughs> Same way that, like, in our family, as far as, like, my father is concerned, I have never hit puberty. Like, I don't. Like, I am still 12 in his mind. It's the safest for us all. Like, my, like, I live with this constant fear that one day my mom is going to read Fifty Shades of Grey and she's going to want to talk to me about it. Okay, so my family's super white. We don't talk about our feelings? Of course not. That would be ridiculous. That would be ridiculous, but hilarious. Uh, when I was a kid, I bought a Harlequin novel at a garage sale at my cottage for 50 cents. Right. And it was about a girl who was a genius and had bright red hair. And she was so smart that she couldn't hold down a job because she really offended people with her smarts. Right. Oh, hi, Sherlock. Hi, Sherlock. Uh, anyways, she like gets a construction job or whatever and falls through this guy's ceiling into his bed. And they fall in love. And it's terrible. And I 
loved it. But when I started reading this, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what Harlequins were because the word had never come up in my house because I'm from a repressed white family where my mom was like, all you will read is the classics of the British canon. Naturally. But I was reading this thing, like, cover out in front of my whole family at the cottage. And I remember them being like, should we take that away from her? It was like nine. And they're like, no, she'll read it and she'll realize that it's not up to the standards of, like, Arthur Conan Doyle. And then she'll never read it again. But I heard them say that and I loved it. So I had to hide it. (laughs) I literally hid this book for, like, six years. I'm proud of you, babe. Uh, but I couldn't take it with me to camp because my mom would check my suitcase before I left to make sure that I had everything. I went to, like, two-week outdoors and horseback riding camp where you, like, learn to shoot guns and live in the woods. Her life is as ridiculous from this point of view as you guys listening. Don't worry. She's a freak. Yeah, it's magical. The point is, while I was at camp, my mom cleaned my room. And I came home and I found that book carefully placed on my nightstand. And we never spoke of it. Not she ever. Should have just, she should have just also included, like, baby's first vibe and a, like, bottle of lube. Are you kidding? No. That that goes beyond, like, the white people comfort zone. <laughs> you just don't do it. Um. <laughs> so, like, I have a bunch of romance novels in my house. And I have to keep them in a room where my family would never go. So that they won't see them because we can't talk about it. <laughs> like, that's, it's like, my secret life. Well, you do know, like, oh, this kind of, to make you feel better, you've heard, you've heard the story about, like, the frozen condoms, right? Yeah, because you were like, I have to put these in my freezer. I have to put them somewhere. And, like, okay, so as part and parcel of, like, my parents and I non-disclosure agreement about me having reached the age of sexual maturity, right? is, like, a constant inability to process any indications that, like, they prove that I have known a man. Which means, <laughs> <laughs> like, whenever they come visit me, I have to hide everything. I have to hide everything. But, you, uh, but like, my mom is an obsessive cleaner. Like, you know how you make fun of me for wiping down my baseboards with, like, laundry sheets? No, I do the same thing. Yeah, I got, yeah, see, so you and I, long distance fist bump, because you know right? me, like, I get that shit from my mom. Totally. And, like, she will randomly get bored and, like, reorder my drawers. <laughs> like, getting mad at her is a completely pointless exercise about it because then she'll just cry and say that I don't love her even though she's trying to do nice things for me. So, basically, I just have to – I have to become really creative about where I put stuff. It has to be hiding in plain sight and it has to be in something she's not going to clean or dismantle and clean. <laughs> so, like, putting it in my drawers is not going to help hiding it in a suitcase somewhere under my bed generally might do it, but may not. Um, (laughs) So one year, out of abject desperation when I was in New York, I basically stuffed all the sex shit that usually, like, sits in my bedside table. Well, where else are you going to keep it? I don't, like, inside of, like, an empty popsicle box in my freezer. But these were, like, sugar-free popsicles, so she couldn't even just judge me for like eating candy right how crazy this was wait wait you realize that popsicles are not candy right that they're candy to my mother oh your life you don't like have you not like my mom starts like every conversation with, oh you'd be so pretty prue if you just you know lost 10 pounds every conversation begins with that phrase listen i told you about my dad being like you know your sister is in great shape it's too bad you're <laughs> fat but you've got a good figure yeah <laughs> This is why you and I are friends, okay? We just have to cling to one another. <laughs> just clinging in the abyss. 
She's like, oh God, we can't let them take us down. Don't let it happen. No. But yeah, so like definitely had to stick all of them in like the popsicle box and hide them <laughs> in my freezer, which led to like the awful conversation where I was like, I wonder if this fucks with their structural integrity. I would really worry about putting like vibrators in there because, you know, when you put plastic at extreme temperatures, it releases carcinogens. And I just don't want to put like a carcinogenic vibrator up my... Oh, this is going to a bad place. This is, no, shh, this is wonderful, let it happen, okay. <laughs> Continue to talk about Carson <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just feel like, like, where would I hide mine? Like, I'm really lucky that nobody pokes around in my place when they come over. They're like, they just sit on the couch and, like, ask if they can use the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do you, okay, do you remember my apartment in New York? Do I ever? Do you remember that shelf? Thing, that spindly wire shelf that was like set up over the in the bathroom yeah I almost broke it yeah because it's a piece of shit and this happened okay so when my parents came to visit uh I told them not to do anything and just to like take a nap and rest in my house for like two hours because I needed to go my friend was at the hospital and she was fine but she just needed someone to take her home so because she'd been on um anesthetic mm-hmm. so I had to go to the hospital pick her up and like get her back home and it would take me about an hour and a half so I was like why don't you guys just hang out here for two hours and I'll be back please don't do anything like don't do anything crazy just like chill out and they've been driving me crazy already of course I came back they had nailed those flower placards in my house onto the wall and bought me furniture that stupid wire shelf thing no in like the hour i had been gone (laughs) and all i could do all i could do as i was sitting there was like i'm so glad i stuck those condoms in that popsicle box (laughs) yes you should okay see my family won't like poke through my things but i have definitely heard a sound at the door gone downstairs and like opened the front door onto the porch and seen like my dad driving away and looked down to find either meat or like freshly dug up potatoes. I would I would be okay with that. I know, but he doesn't like say hello. You just see it's like a drive-by potato drop off. He's almost like a cat. Like a little bit like a cat, yeah. He's like I killed this. Here, have it. It's for you. It's a sign of love. Yeah. I'm like, thanks. I guess yeah. I'll say thank you at lunch later this week. Anyways, we've gone completely far afield off of the Fifty Shades of Grey con- right. uh, topic. But I actually have no, I like don't have any problems with filing the serial numbers off of fic. No, I'm uh, all in favor of it. You know what? When you write fic, you're learning to become a better writer because you get instant feedback, which you don't get as a published writer. True. So do it. Write a bunch of fic, and then if you think that you've got something and it's awesome and somebody wants to publish it, file the serial numbers right the fuck off of that thing. Do it. Because we need more fun, rompy, like, romantic stories or action-adventure stories out there. Right. Like, a lot of the stuff that's in the romance genre or even, like, the fantasy or sci-fi genres of actual books, I'm like, ugh. I've read fic better than this. And I have. So please, change the industry. Send them your shit. It's true. Do it. Also, Also, I know people who've, like, you know, made a good second income. Yeah, also, please, guys, write more erotica and publish it so that people don't sit around thinking that Fifty Shades of Grey is what fandom does. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, listen, they've only seen the bad stuff. Yeah. You should show them what's good. Exactly. Please. Just please. For our honor. For... (laughs) Oh, and let's not talk about honor in an episode called First Times. Oh my god, but First Times are so special, MK. Oh, I hate you so much. (laughs) (laughs) What is our actual episode topic, MK, since you're sick of me grossing you out? (laughs) Oh, so much grossness. Let's move on 
to the beautiful and pure world of first fandoms. First fandoms! Right? Just, I have like a special place in my heart. I do too. I genuinely do. I still, I'm so fond of it, even though, and it's, it's not like fandoms that I've left behind where I'm like, oh man, I could totally say I liked you back then, but you're not good now. I still like genuinely love my first fandom. Yeah, no, I can't. Okay, so guys, Hoyden, Prue, and I are going to Japan like way later this year, and I plan (laughs) to spend all the money in the world on stuff from my first fandom. Like, if I can find it, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to bring it back to Canada and, like, hold it close forever. Just to give you guys some context, her first fandom is... Drumroll, please. Sailor Moon. It's the best. I'm sure it is. And I, I mean, like, insofar, like, your love for it is pure and deep. Like, next time I'm in Toronto, I'm supposed to make you, like, Sailor Moon shoes, aren't I? Oh my god, I forgot about that. You forgot about that. <laughs> It's going to be so amazing. (laughs) Whatever makes you happy, baby. Whatever makes you happy. So easily pleased. So easily pleased. So ludicrously easily pleased. Yeah, so I mean, so how did you get into it? And why do you still love it so much? Okay. (laughs) My sister used to watch Sailor Moon after school. It was on TV at like four something on YTV, which is uh, the Canadian equivalent of Cartoon Network before we got Teletoon. Right. Which is our new Cartoon Network. Um, it's just like kids programming, right? It literally, you just, you watch it, it's great. So she was watching it and she would just be like, oh, like just such a sullen teenager sitting on the couch, like popping popcorn, stoned, being like, this is the worst show ever. And I was like, oh, it's probably really bad. I'll watch it with you. And I fell in love. I was like, this is the greatest show ever. I want to be that girl. Uh, I have like, I over identified with Sailor Moon because she falls down a lot and she was failing math with like thirties, which is basically me. Plus, uh, but she got a talking cat and was a moon princess. Like it was just everything I wanted to be, <laughs> like <laughs> everything I wanted to be encapsulated with awesome music. And my mom really disapproved. <laughs> really, <laughs> really. Okay, so this I think I was like nine again or something, and I was like super into this. And my birthday came around, and she was like, "What do you want for your birthday? Like, make a list." And my list at the top in all caps said anything Sailor Moon and the second item was like seriously if you can find me something Sailor Moon that's all I want and then I was like I don't know computer upgrades but like basically just just Sailor Moon I know that it exists but I don't have any money and I don't like I can't drive so I don't know where I would go to get this stuff I just want it right and I didn't get a single Sailor Moon item so I assumed that it was really hard to get in Canada And then Christmas comes around, and it was like the same thing, except that I knew now that my friends at school had definitely gotten Sailor Moon things. Right. And I was like, okay, it's definitely possible. Like, you can get it. So my Christmas list was like, just Sailor Moon. That's all I want. Not a single Sailor Moon item. (laughs) This goes on for three years. Like, all I want is Sailor Moon. I'm like recording shitty VHS tapes and like sitting like way too close to the TV to cut out the commercials. Like, you know meticulous VHS recording because that's all I had and the internet like the internet and my VHS and finally after three years of not getting any Sailor Moon stuff I was like mom I just have to ask I know that this stuff exists I've seen some of it at the mall I've told you where you can get it so is there like a reason that I'm not getting any Sailor Moon stuff when that's like like my entire birthday list just says Sailor Moon and she was like that show is terrible (laughs) It's the worst show. It's bad for female role models. It's way too young for you. You should have like you should have already been five years beyond it when you started watching it. And I was like, but I love it. 
<laughs> and she was like, well, you're never getting anything from it, so too bad. That's okay. You only had to wait 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and then you finally found some suckers to go to Japan with you. Finally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> essentially that's what happened and it was a tragedy I still have so long to wait november november look how long it's so far away but let's talk about your first fandom which is infinitely more grown up than mine but also okay well my first fandom was the x-files and i think that it's really telling that my first fandom was actors of sailor moon Right? I yeah. think that really directed the trajectory of our relationship. <laughs> Opposites attract. Yeah, a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so I actually stumbled across it. Like, <clears throat> when I was in middle school, one of my friends was already, like, a super big X-Files fan. And, like, in middle school, I, like, barely lived at home. I spent, like, 98% of my time at sleepovers at someone else's house. Oh, man. Uh, huh? I'm so jealous. <clears throat> Don't be jelly because I was cooler than you. For whatever, that's really weird though, but like for whatever reason. You know I wasn't allowed out of the house. I know you weren't. You also weren't allowed on public transit and all these other things because your life is a freak show, etc. Blah. Thanks for going into detail. (laughs) Talk about the X-Files. Okay, so I went to her house and I was actually really scared to watch it because I don't actually like scary movies at all. Um, but she convinced me, she was like, okay, let's just watch a couple of episodes. It's really good. And this was very early in the show's run. Um, the first episode of the X-Files I ever watched, and I cannot believe I ever bothered to watch more, was the episode three, which you don't know what that's about, except for the fact that it was an episode that they filmed after Jillian Anderson had to go on maternity leave because she was pregnant. And it was, which they wrote onto the show as her being abducted by aliens. No, actually, I've seen most of, like, two or three seasons. Okay, so it was during her being gone, and it is the episode where Fox Mulder is crazy and grieving and fucks a vampire. Okay, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that is the episode. That was, like, my first episode of The X-Files. It was, like, David Duchovny in, like, a denim button-up boning a vampire lady, and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) You were like, this is terrible, I need more. I vividly remember thinking, like, this show is stupid. And I have no idea how I went from that to watching every single episode. And, like, this is back when the only way to record an episode was by VHSing it. And I would, like, every single Sunday, it was appointment viewing, you know? Yeah, yeah, I remember the days I was, like, of appointment viewing. my evening. And this was when I stopped watching Lois and Clark. <gasps> no. I abandoned it for the X-Files. Wait, which season of Lois and Clark was on at the time? I don't remember anymore. Because if it was the first two, unforgivable. But if it's any time after that, understandable. <gasps> I don't remember anymore, MK. You'll just have to live with the mystery. Ugh, now I can't judge you properly. I know. It's, that's my that's my sneaky goal. You're the worst. I know. It's so sneaky. So sneaky. But yeah, that was like a fandom that was like richly textured with weirdness and appeals to my sense of, like, fuck the man and ultimate paranoia. Uh, of course. See, I can't... I tried watching it when I was a kid because my best friend uh, was is, like, still the hugest X-Files nerd ever. Right. But I can't... I, I saw a commercial for It, and I still have nightmares about it. I saw really? a commercial for Arachnophobia, and I still am, like, terrified that my shower water will turn into spiders. Like... Totally legit. I'm super affected by this stuff. Right. So a couple years ago, when we lived together, she was like, hey, I'm going to France 
for like six months and I'm going to live in the countryside. You should watch X-Files while I'm gone because I have like everything on DVD. (laughs) And I was like, well, it's summer. There's nothing to watch. So I tried and I made it all the way to this episode that was about like hicks in the countryside. And let's just suffice to say that I have some real life trauma about actual hicks. And it was so scary that I had to turn it off in the first five minutes. Oh. Yeah. I'm still, like, absolutely terrified of it. And terrified that, like... You at home, didn't you? Was that the episode? I don't know. So that, like, really disfigured, inbred people in the countryside? Yes. Okay, that is one of the most terrifying episodes ever. And that was one of the ones that did not get rerun for <laughs> years. For like, good that reason. So disturbing that they basically ran it one time and I don't think that they re-ran it for years. Good. There's an episode of Star Trek Next Generation like that. There's like a, oh god, it's an episode where they're all eating spaghetti. This is like all I remember because I was so young. Right. But the spaghetti is actually like these alien worms that take over their brains and like hypnotize everyone and I think like only Commander Data is, is unscathed because he's a robot. Right. And he has to, like, kill the worms and save everyone, and everyone on the ship is, like, working against him, and they're all hypnotized. And that night, my mom made spaghetti. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not eating this. I have to go. Goodbye. (laughs) Except we have a rule in my house. You don't get to leave the table until you've eaten all or most of your food and said, thank you for the meal. It was delicious. May I please be excused now? Right. I was at that dinner table for, like, six hours. (laughs) Like, oh unable God. to eat spaghetti. I'm so sorry. That's awful. Yes. Yeah, no, that show is, like, really dark and fucked up. But, yeah. I, but I'm but i very grateful for it because it was a really... I do not think I would have started writing had that not been my first fandom. Yeah? Yeah, because that's such a completely... It had a really, really active, incredibly welcoming, really nice... Um, fandom, like a really good writing fandom. And it was very easy to access. So like it had some of the best technology available at the time for fandom. It had massive archives Mm -hmm. and there was the ephemeral auto archive where you just had to format your shit as text files and you could upload it. And people were much more generous, I think, about sending feedback back then. Or maybe it was just, I felt like they were more generous because I was like 12 So I was really excited every time I got an email. (laughs) And it was great. It was really great. And I was a terrible writer. I was so bad. I was, oh, so, so, oh, capital S-O, bad. But it was a great fandom to learn in. And there were really interesting, incredibly long, huge, giant, complex um, case novels and things like that. And a lot of, like, apocalypse fic and, like, alien takeover shit. So, like, I think it really inured me to a lot of horror number one and number two it like kicked me off so i'm forever grateful to the x-files on that sense see my first fandom being sailor moon everyone's really supportive they're all like totally willing to give you feedback and like help you improve but i won't say that the quality was that good (laughs) well that's we were just talking about this before we started recording right like you and i i think wisely refuse to go reread our favorite stories because it will ruin them It will ruin them because we will be viewing them with new and more mature eyes. And I would prefer to love them the way that I loved them in the past. Yeah. I mean, I remember being able to reread these things like three times a week because I was like, these are the best stories. I'm just going to reread them a lot until ASMR updates. Exactly. And now I'm like, don't go there. It's dangerous. You loved it. Let's (laughs) leave it at that. What kind of fanfic were you reading in Sailor Moon? I'm very curious. 
Honestly, I started out with like gen action adventure stories. Right. A lot of the time they would like invent new sailors. Right. You know, the, the classic bad fic starts. Right. Not necessarily bad fic, but yes, they were. Um, and then all romance all the time. Just Usagi Mamoru. Uh, I was so addicted that, okay, so ASMR, A Sailor Moon Romance, was the biggest Sailor Moon fanfiction archive on the internet. Right. And it updated every Sunday with a list of, like, 300 stories. Right. But only once a week, because they had to manually update this stuff, because this is, like, the early days of the internet. Right. So you literally had to wait seven days, and then when stuff came up, you couldn't see, like, what the pairings were. You had to guess based on the title and the author. Right. Um, and like, hope for the best, use your connection while you had it, download all the text files, and then be like, oh, did I get everything? Did I not get everything? Like, what's actually going to be good? And it got to the point, this is like, you know, my start in the internet. Right. I actually had to start a mailing list so that I could have Sailor Moon fanfiction every day. <laughs> that is like the, the greedy, self-serving good. reason. It worked out really well. Control the means of production. Yeah, well, listen... Do you want to own the factory or do you want to work in the factory? I'd like to make you run the factory so I can just reap the benefits of the factory. That's what mods are for. Uh, No, mods have to actually do work. Yeah, so you own it and then you hire mods. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the worst. No one should ever like me. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, like, did you never... Because the reason... What I'm building up to is that since I'm going to disclose the first smut story that I ever read... Oh, I don't know what the first smut story I ever read was. Sailor Moon. I don't know. You don't know? No. How do you not know? It's me! I... You know how much porn I read in Sailor Moon fandom? Most of it was really bad, and most of it was, like, tentacle rape of monsters, and and then occasionally... You read tentacle rape monsters in Sailor Moon. Yeah, because you don't know until you're reading it, and then you're like, well, I better finish it before I click on the next one. I don't know how to respond to that. Listen, (laughs) Sailor Moon was both a dark time and a magical time for everyone. I think Sailor Moon is actually a magically dark time for you. Okay. Yeah. Well, also, this was a time when we weren't so organized in, like, listing what the pairings were, or, like, sorting fic into categories, or, like, putting warnings up, or... So I would literally be like, this looks interesting, and I would read it. Wow. I read everything. Clearly. It was training so hard to be strong like Ox. So hard. And yet we're still not up to par with some people. (laughs) We're going to keep fighting our way to the top, okay? Yeah, definitely. Well, and other people are going to keep trumping us with horrifying shit. Oh, can we? Okay, guys. I think everyone saw, not everyone, but anyone who follows Pinboard. Oh my god, we're so sorry, Pinboard dude. We're so sorry. I think, okay. I really hope it wasn't us, but in case it was, we are really sorry. So sorry. What happened was, I woke up this morning around 7, and I checked Twitter, and the first message I saw was the pinboard guy saying that he had searched pinboard for the word boy pussy, and then looked at his hands and been like, I did this. (laughs) (laughs) And my first thought was like, the timing of this is so suspicious, but there's no way that he listens to this podcast. Like, there's just no way. And then I checked the Slash Report account, and someone was like, does Pinboard listen to Slash Report? I really hope Pinboard doesn't. Pinboard guy, I can't pronounce your first name, but you can do better than us. You can do better than us. Also, don't, why were you searching for bugs? <laughs> just be glad he wasn't searching for bug cock. Like... Like, this, it's just, like, this has, this raises more questions than it answers. Like, 
Why? How? Well, this Where? <laughs> Why? What prompted this? Like, how? How did this happen? I don't know. This might be like, so last week, a little while after the episode, I went Googling for bug cucks. I was like, I need to know the fandom. Don't tell me. Do not disclose it publicly. I'm not going to, but I regret that search. Of course you do. And I just feel like maybe Pinboard Guy, you know, was like, I just need to know. And then he was like, no, I regret this search. <sighs> That's why nobody, like, listen, nobody wants their Google search history made public. <laughs> There's a great, have you seen this great SNL sketch? <laughs> he's like, to prove my client didn't commit murder, I present his internet search history. And he's like, no, just, just, I'm guilty. <laughs> I, I'd rather confess to murder, Yeah. <laughs> Listen, people Google things. It's a bad idea, but you need to know, and then you regret knowing. That's what Google is for. It is the tree of knowledge. (laughs) You just have to... You're going to go there, and you're going to regret it. But it's also very important that it exists. Great. Now I'm imagining Boy Pussy as the apple of knowledge that you regret eating. I hope (laughs) you're happy with that visual image that you've just put in my head. I am, weirdly. I had a science teacher in high school who explained to us that... All fruit was the ovaries of trees. Nice. I couldn't eat fruit for like a year and a half. Now I'm not going to be able to eat fruit for a year and a half. You know what I'm doing right now, right? In the next room, I'm boiling two oranges. Just think of those sweet ovaries. Sweet, sweet ovaries (laughs) that I'm about to like blend into liquid. Yep. (laughs) Read the SLO entry. Okay. Slow entry for this week. Uh, It's from Druid Spell, who says that she knows that nothing can ever top Bugcock, but she had to submit this anyway. The story opens as a beloved childhood figure wakes up in the midst of a psychotic break and begins having a no good, very bad week. His friends, who are growing concerned, form a committee to brainstorm ideas to get him back to his old self. What is the committee's eventual solution to his psychological disturbance, you ask? Magic cock. Specifically, healing gang rape. And thus begins one of the most surreal non cons in existence, including such horrors as terrible choices in lube. Graphic description. Oh God, sorry. <laughs> Graphic descriptions of the volcanic spew of jizz. <laughs> the most disturbingly enthusiastic dirty talk ever committed to pixels on a screen. The character being gang raped is eventually healed of his psychotic break and begins to enjoy the raping. At which point, the author chooses to fade to black. Oh, because once you're happy with it, you should stop telling us about it. <laughs> That's the end, right? I mean, obviously. There seems to be nothing else to do. Oh, God. She's added, I feel like the real test of a slash reporter's strength in this case is not the length, the characters, or fandom, or the premise of this story, but rather their endurance in regards to rereading. Here I challenge anyone to best my strength, because I reread this story at least once a year. Why no- would you tell people that? <laughs> not only do I reread it, but I send people excerpts through text message. My best friend and I once got caught up in a mutually assured destruction scenario when she sent me a bitly link to a porn video of furries dressed as pterodactyls fucking. I retaliated with this fic. My conclusion to that mad scenario, by the way, she and I ganged up on a mutual friend who's not in fandom and read this story aloud to him while he had while we had him trapped in a car on a trip to do some Christmas shopping at the mall. <laughs> Have fun drawing the t-shirt for Bugcock. <laughs> I, I can't even, like... You people are horrible! What have we done? worse than I thought this 
Okay, so the actual story there, I'm like, oh, that's terrible. But <laughs> I feel like your your mutually assured destruction scenario, like, all you've done is given me ideas of terrible things to do to prove. <laughs> I just want you to know that as soon as this recording is over, MK is going to go to Google <laughs> and type in pterodactyl furry fucking. And it's going to be your fault, Druidspell. I wasn't actually going to Google that. I was just going to go and look up those CSI clips. What? You know, the reason that, like, normal people know what furries are. Oh my god, that's right. <laughs> the episode of CSI about a furry convention. <laughs> my god. MK. Yeah. This isn't their sign. This is the universe pressing you ever closer. To no. No. Stop fighting it. No. How do pterodactyls even fuck? They're full of wings. <laughs> we need to move on. This has to end. This is so terrible. This has to end. We have to recommend stories that we can never talk about this episode ever again. Okay, I'm, I'm going to do something really clean here, and I'm going to give you my favorite Sailor Moon story of all time, and I think it is held up. Okay. Okay? Everyone who is in Sailor Moon fandom knows this story, but I'm going to give you a little bit of background before I wreck it, because if you've never watched Sailor Moon, or if you've only seen a little bit of it, I still think you should read this story, because that's how cute it is. Okay. One of my favorite episodes of Sailor Moon in English is called An Artful Attack, in which, um... It's the rainbow crystal arc, so there are, like, people who have these crystals inside them. And if you remove the crystal, they turn into a horrible monster. But in the meantime, they just are, like, really nice people with cool powers. Right. And they meet one of these people who is an artist, uh, who, like, looks like a super norm, but has this, like, persona. Like, you know, kind of the way that people in fandom have a, a separate persona from their real lives. So she has, like, her painter name. And nobody recognizes her because she looks nothing like her self-portrait, which is beautiful. And she makes these beautiful, beautiful paintings of, like, essentially the Moon Kingdom and their lives before. And when right. she meets Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask in their regular forms, she's like, oh my god, you're perfect, please model for me. And they don't like each other. Like, they, at this point, do not get along. They just argue constantly. And yet they have to pose for these, like, super romantic paintings and you can see that they're, like, starting to fall in love. Like, this is, like, the tipping point in season one Sailor Moon. And, of course, she's, like, 12. She's 15. But in the manga, you know, he's only, like, 16 or something, so... And she's 12. 14. Sorry, she's 14. But they're, like, yeah, let's ignore that the anime fucked with ages, because that's Kunihiku Ikuhara all the way. He's a creeper. The point is... Jennifer Wand wrote this story called She Loves Me, which takes place at the end of the episode. Uh, and it's just about, after everything that happens, Usagi and Momoro are walking home, and they happen to have to walk in the same direction. And she admits that, like, her super crush is on Tuxedo Mask. And the whole point of the story is, like, you know what, I like her, but what makes this even better is that she doesn't realize that she's in love with me and it makes him so happy that she's in love with him and she's like standing there right beside him and she doesn't know that it's him it's just like a really beautiful story is this this sounds like it's short is it short or is it it's short it's like three thousand words or something gotcha yeah okay that sounds really sweet it is i love that i love that first moment of realization it's great it's always like violin strings rising cachini in the air lovely okay <clears throat> 
So to bring down the tone, because, <laughs> um, I have two recommendations. One is, uh, the first one I'm recommending is Blinded by White Light by Dasha Kay. Um, it's, the way I described it on Pinboard was a uh, shockingly good apocalyptic sort of, for the X-Files. Now, the X-Files is a fandom that is perennially obsessed with the idea of the world ending, but not in any sort of, like, blaze of glory, explosion, everything is gone sort of way, but in, like, a grotesque aliens taking over us through the medium of black oil viruses and things like that. Um, And if you've ever been an X-Files fandom, you've probably read some horrifying worst-case scenario stories about what happens. Blinded by White Light is an interesting play on this, where it's the it's post-apocalypse, and it's almost like the world has gotten soft reset, where our lead characters don't really remember who they were to one another, but nobody remembers anything. Um, but it's really lovely in that they find their way to each other again. So Scully and Mulder don't remember who they used to be, and they don't really remember what they were, but they sort of know a little bit somehow just in their chest under the bone that they're in love and they, after everything, finally get their happy ending. And it's a weird, it's a weird one because it should be bleak, but it's not at all. And it makes me feel, it's like for an apocalypse fic, it makes me feel weirdly hopeful because you have the promise of even if everything in the world goes completely wrong, it may not be that terrible and you may still be able to be happy. That sounds sweet. It is weird. It is weirdly sweet. And it's one that I did did not anticipate. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't really hear the words apocalypse fic and think like, no, this will be good. Right? Yeah. (laughs) You think like this is going to be terrible and sad. Um, And it's not. It it is melancholy. But it is actually very good. The other story I'm going to recommend is the first smut story that I ever read. And I remember this really vividly. Because I read this on a blue Telnet DOS <laughs> yeah, and I was terrified of getting caught the entire time. Nice. Yeah, and the story is called Cheapened Things by MD1016. And I honestly could not even tell you what it's about anymore. It, it's basically just a story where Mulder has a nightmare and then they do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful summary. That should be the official summary. <laughs> That's like a summary that I would see in the Teen Wolf category. <laughs> On my AM3 subscription, <laughs> Derek has a nightmare, and then they do it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just... <laughs> you, you gently popped my porn cherry. This is how I repay you. Continue. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, he has a nightmare, then they do it. They, they do the sex. I don't know what else to say. Best episode ever. <laughs> Off topic almost the entire time. Can't even make a wreck. Ah, I can't wait to edit this. I can't wait. It's going to be so difficult. What do I cut? <laughs> It'll be like a five minute episode. So episode should just be like you recording. I'm really sorry. This was unspeakably bad. <laughs> Oh, God. We should. But yeah, those are my two recommendations. <laughs> Let's end this. We have to end this. We'll see you next week, guys. We'll catch you on the flip side. And please, spam her Twitter with what your first fandom was and what you remember the most about it. And if you can bear to revisit it, what would you recommend us read from it?
Yes, and we will share those. We will definitely share those. But yeah, um, we'll catch you next week. Um, I promise you that we will be incrementally more coherent. <laughs> that happens. Let's say fractionally. Shh. <laughs> the stars, MK. Goodbye. Bye. now then pee later well unless you recorded it then we could be really specialist i'm ready <laughs> are you mk are you? <laughs> oh, it's going to a really bad place <laughs>